Hi, I'm Amy Porter, and this is my podcast. My mission is to show people how to empower themselves through music, business, and media. I try to see as clearly as possible how I can help. I showcase the music that I've played and the people I've met along the way. I'm a wife and a stepmom. You might know me as a professor, a performer, a producer, a publisher, a recording artist. I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits. Welcome in to my Porter Flute Pod. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. It's season three, episode three, and it's our Etude edition. We're calling it Etudes or Concert Pieces. That's a question. We're going inside the study guide that I made in 2005 to let you hear some of the wonderful historical facts about Siegfried Kargelert from the featured historian on the study guide, Marie Herseth. I'll also play some of the lesser-known caprices to show you the exact challenges they provide and the joys they can bring to a listening audience. With us in the podcast is Justine Sedke and Alan J. Thomas-Setti, co-producers. Thanks for being in Porter Flute Pod. We are so happy you're here. Every flutist, or most flutists, will have a book called The Modern Flutist in their library. It's a book full of excerpts and very obscure pieces. And then in the beginning, there are these 30 small works, and they're pretty much overlooked until you realize these are gems. These are going to make you a better player. Anything by Carr Gaylor. He was so eccentric in his com- compositional style, I really just think everybody should discover him. He was an organist and he also played other instruments. But I have a study guide from 2005 that I'd like to kind of delve into today. And it gives a wealth of information, and I know I learned a lot. But let me tell you how I got into these caprices in the first place. They were just brought to me through sheer need of practice. So I was already in the Atlanta Symphony. I'd never even looked at these little works in the beginning of the modern flutist. I know, I know, it's hard to believe, right? I just went straight for the excerpts. (laughs) So here I was in the summers learning these really hard pieces. I was like, how do they go? And so I'd make up little stories and then I'd realize, wait, that's not the right note. Wait, what are the accidentals? I think that's a mistake. I mean, you start uncovering all these things. And then I started trying to figure out where I could find the errata for these things. I mean, years and years. Okay, seven or eight years later, I realized I think I have all the information. And at that time, I was starting a new job at the University of Michigan. So when I was hired, I went in and I said, I really think I have a new kind of teaching tool. I would like to sit in front of people. Uh, and explain and play, but do it all on camera so that everybody can play it a hundred times and then not need me anymore. I kind of started multiplying 30 caprices times 18 students. It got a lot, uh, got excessive, right? So I decided to film the caprices and I don't use air quotes when I say this. People said I was crazy you're crazy. Why are you going to do that? So we didn't have the camera phones at the time, but 
I was working with a producer, Chris Boyce, and Chris is now working at the University of Michigan School of Music, Theater, and Dance. And it's very exciting because our history, I hope, uh, was our little video here, was able to get him that job. So Chris Boyce is with me, and he was very, very uh, adamant that it be as professional as possible. We are in my office. We have gladiolas in the vase from Kroger. We have the curtains from my dining room hanging on the wall. And he was just so professional with his cue cards and his staff. Uh, Dave Shaw was in the hallway shushing everybody. Uh, But here I was trying to give a very professional lecture study guide back in 2005. And I couldn't do it on my phone. And I had to have a boom mic. (laughs) And so it was quite expensive. Um, The grants came from University of Michigan Center for Research on Learning and Teaching, as well as my School of Music, Theater, and Dance. So, you know, but that wasn't a whole lot of money. So on a shoestring budget, we were just in my office making this study guide. So I really taught them to myself. And I told my belief to someone who was introduced to me. And I was just so excited when, you know, instead of making a recording, which I actually made later, instead of making a recording, I could just make a, a study guide and say, hey, here are my thoughts. And um, and here's me playing it, right? You don't want to talk about things unless you can do it. So what do you think, everybody? Do you think that this format caught on at all? Admittedly, this is one of the most technically challenging caprices. It has leaps of a ninth down to a low C-sharp in measure 6 and leaps of octaves in measure 12. These large intervals are always of great concern to flutists. Combining the elements of a flexible airstream and dexterity and technique is what we are ultimately working towards in these trouble spots. Practice these technical measures slowly at first, only concentrating on a good tone throughout the intervals. By concentrating on tone production of every note, we ensure that the tone is established and will provide a good foundation for the technique that will follow. Try lowering your shoulders when you descend to the low C sharps. Practice the slurred intervals tongued and the tongued intervals slurred. This way you might be able to approach these large intervals from a different perspective. Also, in measure 12, we find that Cargaylert has again tested our articulation skills by slurring three notes together over a four-note pattern. Two errata notes. In measure 14, beat two, the second note is C natural. In measure 16, the last note is G natural. Breathe at the end of measure 4, measure 9, measure 14 in the rest, at the end of measure 18, and measure 20, so that the last four measures can be played in one breath. Try sliding the B-flat thumb key on for beat 3 in measure 22, but don't forget to slide it back before the final measure. The final grace note should be placed just before playing the final G. 
The other very difficult issue is to play the first ten measures very softly, gracefully, and lightly. And, again, Cargaylert has asked us to play fast. I believe that you should aim for consistency in your technique, not try to prove how fast you can play. If you perform this caprice with solid technique, feeling it in a large two-beat, you will make clear the phrasing and avoid a sense of rushing. The type of person that I'm trying to reach with this study guide, I was able to reach. I got a great review from a couple of places and I wanna read you one reaction from the newsletter of the San Diego Flute Club. It was written by Kathleen Herb Baker back in 2006. Listen to this. And I'm so happy this is the type of person um, that I'm reaching. Quote, then she performs the etudes Oh, my teachers were right, it is music. One of the major benefits of this study guide is that I find it very motivating. Coming home late after a rehearsal, I am far more likely to pop this study guide in, at least listen to my current etude a few times and play it once or twice before I go to bed. Each time I watch and I listen, I seem to notice something stylistically concerning dynamics, breathing or phrasing. Best of all, I can honestly say I've noticed a difference in my playing as a result. It's wonderful to get a review that's kind and another to say that you're clear. And that's a word that I like and I use a lot. So the National Flute Association's Flutist Quarterly Magazine back in 2007 published this from Keith Petaway. The 30 Caprices came to my attention back in the late 1960s, published as part of The Modern Flutist. As a young musician, these studies were a bit of a mystery. Had I had access to this wonderful study guide at that time, I would have gotten a lot more out of them. Amy Porter does an excellent job of explaining and performing these Caprices. Each Caprice is presented in two parts. The first section is a discussion of the music, and the second is a performance of it. Porter is very clear and organized in her explanations, both about the technical and musical aspects of each caprice. The music appears on the screen, and the section under discussion is highlighted. Details within the highlighted area are further marked to make it very easy to follow. Suggestions are made for breathing, and any terms that might cause confusion are explained. The performances of the caprices are beautiful. The technique is very fluid and the tone is smooth throughout the entire range of the flute. This is especially evident in the many compound intervals that are extremely prevalent in these studies. 
An added bonus is being able to see Porter's beautiful hand and finger position that many players would do well to emulate. This DVD is a wonderful tool for anyone who studies or teaches these caprices. It would also be a great addition to any serious flutist's library. Caprice number 23, the grand lady of all the caprices. I call it a night at the opera. Picture yourself at the Metropolitan Opera House in New York City attending an opera that has a tragic plot. In one of the final scenes, the heroine has saved her townspeople from danger, but in the course of events, she has been stabbed and is fighting for her life. That night, the music is as dramatic as you have ever heard it, and it envelops you and reminds you that tragedy can create an intense musical form. The minor key of C-sharp, the use of the sixth to begin the piece, flourishing runs up to high points and lots of rallentondos with passionate vibrato have all come into play to make this caprice the most dramatic one of all. In my virtual orchestration, I hear the unison violins in the opening playing fortissimo. I hear the meaningful memories and searching songs of our heroine in the softer parts. I hear the wailing of pain in the double octaves. When you see the double octave leaps that are stacked, play them from the bottom up and treat the lower note as you would a grace note. Cargaylord has simplified his musical language into shorthand. R equals rallentando. A equals a cellarondo, and double A equals continuing in a cellarondo, so we have an easy guide to interpretation underneath our score. He also uses the letter T for his special tenuto marking that inspires us to do something special on that specific note. I take the alargando seriously at the end of this caprice. I think the alargando should be thought out and be the most meaningful of all tempo changes. In our opera, our heroine drops to the floor. She has taken her last breath, and we are left desolate and resigned to her fate.
When I approached the Cargailer Society in Germany about my DVD study guide at the time, they turned me back to America and said, the expert, the foremost expert who wrote the book is in America. And her name is Marie Herseth. Well, is that the sister of my colleague Frida Herseth? Yes, it is. So it was so great to reunite the sisters and have Marie in Ann Arbor. And I want you to listen to a little bit of her historical guide to Cargailert's Caprices. In 1904, with Carl Reinecke's kind help, Cargailert became acquainted with Edvard Grieg. As his mentor, Grieg advised Cargailert to concentrate on composition and recommended him to several publishers. He also advised him to spell his name the Nordic way, Siegfried, to avoid any suspicion of Jewish origin. Actually, Cargailert's father was a strict Catholic and his mother was a genuinely rooted Lutheran. Grieg encouraged Cargailert to make a thorough study of all the masters of composition. Consequently, he composed Stilstudien, which we know as 33 portraits for harmonium. This is a collection of 33 pieces in all styles, ranging from Palestrina to Schoenberg, including a musical portrait of Grieg and Cargailert. This was around the time that Cargailert went through an artistic crisis. He began to distance himself from his earlier influences, such as Scriabin and Schoenberg. Describing his new style, he wrote, I began again in C major and prayed to the muse of melody. A striking passage from a letter written by the composer describes the conditions under which his famous 66 chorale improvisations were written and at the same time throws a revealing light on the composer's attitude to his art. I had made up my mind, he said, to make a pilgrimage to the source of all music, Bach. It was at this time I experienced the most exalted hours of my life. I heeded not whether it was morning, midday, evening, or night. I read, read, read the Old and New Testaments and our hymns, and composed without ceasing for a whole year. Only a twentieth part could in fact be recorded. Unrecorded things vanished forever like fortunes and dreams. The pieces were not the product of labored craftsmanship and ingenuity. I did not work upon them. Rather, I just wrote down what inspiration brought. In 1919, Cargellert succeeded Max Rager as head composition teacher at the Leipzig Conservatory. He is primarily known for his more than 250 works for organ. He also wrote numerous pieces for winds, strings, and voice. His works for flute were written between the years 1912 and 1922 and represent his highly individual and mature style. In the left column is the list of works that are published, and in the column to the right is a list of lost or unpublished works. Evidence of performances of several of these lost or unpublished works can be found in the program booklets at the Leipzig Conservatory of Music. It is unfortunate that much of Cargellert's flute music was not published during his lifetime. In a letter to his students, Cargellert wistfully states, Our biggest publishers have material enough to last for years and are only in need of money. In February 1933, Cargellert suffered his first stroke and later died as the bells were ringing on Palm Sunday, April 9 of that year. The differing reactions of American, English, and German publications show very clearly the varying degrees of acceptance and understanding of his music and life at that time. 
In London, it was written, the greatest modern writer for the organ is dead. In Germany, the Neue Zeitschrift for Musik said, in Leipzig, he was rather less prominent than in England and America, in spite of the great number of his works. Kargellert is a chapter with many ramifications and as yet by no means clear. A chapter which then at some future time in German history must be written. With that in mind, we will now look at Kargellert's music for flute. Kargellert was fully aware of the need for concert etudes in order to help prepare flutists for the more modern and complicated orchestral and virtuosic solo repertoire. This forward-looking approach sets him apart from the other composers of flute etudes at that time. The technical challenges in the 30 caprices are many. In particular, there are two aspects to which I would like to draw your attention, the use of flutter tongue and the use of the extreme high register. The 30 caprices represent the first collection of etudes to include flutter tongue, which is used in caprice number 14 and number 20. The earliest examples of flutter tongue in the orchestral repertoire are found in Richard Strauss's Don Quixote, Symphonia Domestica, in Ravel's La Valse, Rite of Spring, Pierrot Lunaire, and Das Lied von der Erde. An example of flutter tongue in Kargellert's music is found in his Impressions Esotiques in the movement entitled Colibri, which means small hummingbird. Flutter tongue, trills, and rapid sixteenth notes played by the piccolo vividly portray a hummingbird. The flutter tongue became widely used in the flute solo repertoire in the 20th century. For example, Boza included flutter tongue in his image for solo flute and in his 14 arabesque etudes. Other compositions, among many, to use flutter tongue in the solo flute repertoire include Jolivet's Five Incantations and Berio Sequenza. Kargellert knew the improved technical capabilities of the Böhm flute and gave flutists every opportunity for developing technique. The 30 caprices represent the first collection of etudes to include the fourth octave C-sharp and the fourth octave D, used in caprice number 29 and number 30. This C-sharp 4 was used in Strauss's Symphonio Domestica, Salome's Dance, Till Eulenspiegel and Don Juan. Strauss extended the range to D4 in Also Sprach Zarathustra and Ein Heldenleben. Later in Prokofiev's Classical Symphony, the C-sharp 4 and D4 are both used. Kargellert knew the technical and expressive capabilities of the flute and gave the flutist new opportunities for developing those capabilities. Karl Bartuzot, Kargellert's army friend, colleague, and the flutist to whom the 30 caprices are dedicated, once stated in an article he wrote on contemporary music that, quote, the flute music of Kargellert gives flutists what they are searching for. Not only does the music provide technical challenges, it also requires that the flutist be able to interpret the musical content and shape of the music. This music brings the flute, which hasn't been taken seriously lately, into the concert halls and puts it on an equal footing with the string instruments. Kargellert wrote his flute music with honest enthusiasm, and the only wish would be that all flutists who want to improve should try out this groundbreaking music. To his Australian friends, Kargellert mentions that he had no trouble composing, but lacked the time and desire to promote himself to the publishers. His passion seemed to be more in making music, meeting with musicians, and concertizing. In letters between performers of his music in 1926, we read, 
The evening in his house was charming. Two male friends, Mr. Wiesmann, flautist, and Mr. Schenk, and a lady, all students of him, were there. He and Wiesmann played a gorgeous suite for piano and flute, both instruments demanding a tremendous technique. I admired once more his greatness as a pianist as well as a composer. Later, in 1927, Mr. Wiesmann and Mr. Schenk premiered Kargellert's suite, Impressions as Artiques in Berlin. This five-movement work is dedicated to pianist, close friend, and composer Dr. Walter Niemann, whose home was also the scene of these musical evenings. Flutists know Niemann today mainly for his edition of Quanz's treatise on playing the flute. Mr. Wiesmann also performed Kargellert's Suite Pointillistique with pianist and fellow student Bertha Seifert in 1927. Perhaps the lady student at Kargellert's apartment that evening in 1926 was Bertha Seifert. On a recent visit to Leipzig, I found that many street names are now changed and many homes lie in ruins from World War II, including Niemann's home. Bertha's apartment building at 20 Hardenbergstrasse has been beautifully rebuilt and Kargellert Street Elisenstrasse no longer exists. When I asked the local residents where I could find Elisenstrasse, the answer was always, es gibt keine Elisenstrasse. There is no Elisenstrasse. Even the postman hadn't heard of Elisenstrasse. So much has changed. Kargellert was a flamboyant performer and was known to keep a photograph of the composer whose music he was playing on a stand near the organ to provide inspiration during the concert. With mounting excitement during a performance, he stood straight up on the pedals of the organ with his hair standing on end before crashing down on the chords. From a student of his in the 1920s, we read, quote, I just remember one session. He was doing Winterreise by Schubert, and he played the whole of the Winterreise without looking once into the music. He played the whole thing just from memory. That was Kargellert. Kargellert's clothing and demeanor is described in a letter of 1926 between two of his friends. Dark trousers with white narrow stripes, waistcoat and jacket of black velvet with cord embroidery a strawberry-colored, very large, loose silken cravat flowing in the wind. All this crowned by a soft, broad-brimmed felt hat as worn by brigands on the stage. He is not as fat as formerly and has sacrificed his beard, is clean-shaven now, and if I ever said he looks like a beer brewer, I confess I was wrong. His face looks very spiritual. But I was glad, very glad indeed, that I had not to walk with him in this costume in the streets of Berlin or Melbourne. At least I was on the first day. On the second, I had fallen so deeply under the charm of his personality that I had forgotten his outer appearance. Kargellert's spiritual and artistic nature is perhaps best summed up in his own words. Quote, the most beautiful harmony is the harmony of the soul. In this next caprice, Kargailer asks for liquid elegance. For the flutist, this translates as smooth fingers and indicating the long lines of the patterns. The tempo is rapid, so practice this one measure at a time at first. Find the chords within the melody. Remember the key of B-flat minor and practice the scale during your practice sessions to remind yourself of the accidentals. Measure 5 is tricky, so try grouping these notes in groups of 2, 
six, six, and five notes. The following measure six can be grouped as four, 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 and seven notes. Make sure to breathe after some of the lifted notes. Try a breath in measure nine after the A on beat four, after the first beat in measure 11, and after the D on the fourth beat of measure 11. Take two breaths in measure 13, once after the downbeat, and again after the D flat on beat two. You should be able to play all the way to measure 15 where you can breathe after the first beat where the phrase pattern changes. Your final breath is the rest in measure 16. Avoid overblowing to get the downbeat notes of the high B flat and G flat in measure 16. Sometimes blowing a fast airstream can seem like the right thing to do for forte and high passages, but here, when you have to be dexterous, slowing down the airspeed and erring on the side of caution will often garner the best results. Back in 2004, when I was writing the grant, I had to have pre-production meetings and, gosh, a lot of technical production meetings. We were just being crazy, right? We were just thinking, well, what if we did this? So we had um, to pay for three crew members, two cameras, lighting, production, um, and at that point, the tapes, it was tapes, um, the digital stuff, the printing, pre-press graphics, menu design. So you have to design the menu of the DVD because back then it was a, a DVD. So there was digital post and video, audio and menu integration, creating a one-off DVD for viewing rough cuts. And then um, we needed to <laughs> present footage, uh, create design, you know, testing for DVD delivery, uh, we had to price the DVD. Um, we had to pay an hourly rate for uh, digital audio engineering, recording, and editing. So it was kind of like a two-step. It was film, and then it was audio, and then you had to put them together. Um, it was amazing. And then the whole production, uh, it took months and months and months. So it was so amazing to see it all come to fruition. And I remember <laughs> going to... Casey's here in Ann Arbor and Chris Boyce the producer sitting down with me and saying so what's your next project and I said tell him on <laughs> so I'm very happy to tell you that this popular study guide of the Cargaylert 30 Caprices has been translated into Japanese and it's been distributed uh, in many 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 countries I'm just so um, honored 
to to have you listening and watching uh, as I teach these very important study guides. And you may be wondering, why these? Why not something else? I think I provide my students with works that they might not otherwise approach, right? So I think these these Cargaylor Caprices I, I overlooked for years, and the Telemann Fantasia sometimes are quote unquote boring or misunderstood, right? Until their true beauty comes out. I just wanted to bring people works and, and study guides that, you know, your teacher might not have time to tell you all this stuff in one lesson. And so I'm here to just bring you what's important and try to make it very clear. This caprice is stormy. You can almost hear the rain and wind musically pounding on the roof. Practice the opening full eighth note melody all the way through the first four measures, first without playing the grace notes. I usually ask students to offset grace notes, but not in this case. I think to get the stormy effect, you should run the grace notes right into the eighth notes and keep the eighth notes long. In measure 14, we hear a big change in the grace note motive. Think of playing the music of Prokofiev and you'll have the right spirit. You can hear the hailstorm in these measures. By measure 16, we are back to the rainstorm and the long eighth notes. Try breathing once in the beginning and at the end of measures 2, 3, and 4. Breathe at the end of measure 7 and halfway through measure 8 and at the end of measures 16, 17, and 18. Breathe again before the final descending arpeggio in the last measure. It will be effective in setting up your thunderous high C. played a flourishing ascending scale and reached the climax of a lengthy two-measure retard. Take two and I, I, I want to slap your hands together Oops. like you did. Okay. That's okay though. Oh, Amy, retard. 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 Don't retard. Be, be, beware of the E. Thank you. Don't offend people. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just show you something? <laughs> Question. How did we play with the tingle? Right, okay. You know, okay. That tingle. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm trying not to say tink. I'm trying to yeah, say no. tingle. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Okay.
I'm so appreciative of this project and all the people who helped me get it done. I would not be where I am today without some of these study guides. They allowed me to teach in other countries and in other languages. So thank you all for downloading them. You can download them or you can still get a a physical copy. You can find it at amyporter.com or porterflute.com. I also want to thank Margaret Jane Radin for sponsoring the first seed money for this project. Peggy, I would not be here today without your belief in me as a teacher. Join us next week for Business 101. And our guest is Professor Michael Haithcock, our director of bands. And we're going to get down to business to discuss the 10th anniversary of The Shadow of Sirius, written by Joel Puckett. And we are performing that on October 22nd, so we'll be talking about that. We're also going to be talking about commissioning big pieces, the symphonic wind music versus orchestral music. Thanks for being in Porter Flute Pod. I'm so grateful for you. <laughs>